All right, let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to end our series highlights from 1 Samuel in 2 Samuel. We're not going to do the whole book now, though one day I hope to get into it. But I want to close the loop on the story of David and Saul. And uh, last week, if you remember, we read in chapter 31, um, well, beginning in chapter 28, Saul was given by Samuel a word that he had 24 hours left to live. And Saul was on the battlefield. He was mortally wounded with an arrow. And then he tried to kill himself by running himself through with a sword because he did not want to fall into the hands of the Philistines and still be alive. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, we read the story continues that apparently even falling on his sword didn't end his life. And so he asked a, an Amalekite young man that was walking by to finish the job. And, um, and so this young man did. He came over, he killed him, and he took Saul's crown and he took it to David. I've titled the message this morning, Going from Victim to Victor. David was undoubtedly the victim of abusive leadership. I mean, for 10 years, Saul tried to kill David. He forced David to run as a fugitive from his own people and live in cave, from cave to cave. Um, Saul slandered David's reputation. He turned Men that had fought alongside of David against David and had them ordered and ordered them to kill David on sight. He slandered David's reputation. When David wanted to help Saul, he accused him of wanting to hurt him. Saul even took David's wife, Michael, who was Saul's daughter, and gave her to another man in marriage. And so David was the victim of Saul's abusive leadership. But now in 2 Samuel chapter 1, Saul is dead. The crown is given to David. David no longer has to run. He doesn't have to fear for his life. The, the path to the throne is wide open. God's promises have come to pass. And David went from the victim of Saul to the victor over Saul. And I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. Have you ever had somebody hurt you, treat you badly, say something unkind about you, or do something unkind to you, and have you ever had harbored thoughts of wanting them to, to get theirs? Wanting payback? Now don't, don't, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to nod your head. But have you ever wanted to see that you, you be vindicated from what they, the wrong, they have done to you? Like vindicated. And in that sense vindication would feel like winning. Have you ever felt that way? Do you know what I mean by that? Years ago, many years ago, when I was pastoring a church on Long Island, and we were going through a difficult, challenging season. Churches go through those. And we were going through a, a challenging season, and uh, a member, a brother in the Lord, I'll call him Bill, 
Um, and he was one of our more charismatically minded. Like it's a lot of his, he, he, he was kind of a little bit out of line with our main flow, but he was a great brother and he was with us for many years. And, and he kind of flowed, even though we weren't exactly his cup of tea. Um, but during this difficult time, I remember I was walking out of a store and I ran into him and he came up to me and I don't remember the exact words, but I can tell you that it was, he gave, he said, the Lord has put a strong word on my heart that, that you are, um, out of line with God, that the spirit of the Lord has departed and God has said Ichabod over you and over your ministry and over the church and um, how my motives were evil and wrong and I needed to repent. If I didn't repent, God was going to take me out. It was just a strong word. Um, and the evidence he gave me to kind of help me see that God was, his hand was against me was this. Just a few days earlier, I was driving the church van and, um, and he got a flat tire. And then it started to pour. And so I'm outside in the rain and it's pouring and I've got this flat tire. And what I didn't know is Bill drove by and he saw me out there and he believed that to be a confirmation that God was against me and punishing me. And, and this flat tire and downpour was God's way of trying to tell me I'm against you. Now, he didn't stop. He didn't pull over to help me or anything like that. But but he got the word of the Lord while he drove by. Um, when someone and, and by the way, um, we'll come back to that story in a few minutes. But when someone tells you that God told them he's against you or you're out of line and, and, and you search your heart and you don't see that. It's natural to see it a bit as a bit of a tug of war. Who's God for? Who's God's against? You know, and who's going to win this thing? And um, so when I heard just a, a few days later, I kid you not, I, I exaggerate not. Uh, just a few days later, within two days, Bill lost his job and his wife left him. And I, I had, his wife never came to the church, but my heart hurt for him. But I, I, to be honest, I also felt a bit of vindication. Like, who is God really not blessing right now? In the tug of war of who's God for and who's God against, I think maybe God's made it clear. I felt like I'd won. I felt like I'd won. I'll come back to that in a few minutes. When someone hurts us, when we feel to some degree of, of being a victim, and, and, and this, this message is for the range from you had a conflict at work, a uh, co-worker is, is not giving you credit and making you look bad to an abusive situation. This covers the gamut, but there is a degree that we want to be vindicated. We want to win. And I can imagine that David, as the crown is handed to him, You'd think he would have felt, I've won. I've been vindicated. The man trying to kill me has died a pathetic death. The throne is mine. I've won from victim to victor. 
Except that's not at all how David felt. And that's not at all what I mean by the title from victim to victor. Let's read 2 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 17 through to verse 27. We're going to read David's response to the news that Saul was dead. Verse 17. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jeshar. So this lament was taught to the people of Israel and written down in a book. He said, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothe you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen. And the weapons of war perished. Father, we ask you to bless this time in your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So David is not jubilant over Saul's death. He laments. Not only does he lament, he teaches this lament. Now listen, the natural inclination for David as he begins to shift, as the power goes from Saul to David, the natural inclination, if David were an insecure man, was, I want, to, I want Israel to forget Saul as fast as possible. I want them to forget him as king and look to me as king and, and move on as fast as possible. But he didn't. He, he didn't say Saul is such a horrible king. He thought Israel lost a great king. How, how do we square that? How do we square what the Bible describes as evil actions by Saul and David's lavish praise of who Saul was? That's what I want to look at because what he does will help us to go in our lives from being victims to being victors in those kinds of situations, and in fact, in our relationships with people. Now, I want to pause here for a moment before we jump in and look at what he did and say that this, what I'm going to share with you today is, I believe, very important to pretty much all our relationships in every situation. It, it's a part of 
how we respond in every situation. But I stress and I underline part of because it's not the whole story. This is not meant to be a a week-long seminar on working through conflict and working through difficult situations and dealing with abusive situations and dealing with this and dealing with that. This is not that message. Okay, so I want you to know that this is a part of it. You can apply this. I encourage you to apply this. But if you are, and and let's say you're at work and there's a, you know, a boss that's just driving you crazy and they never seem to praise you and they never seem to do things right and everything or, or, you know, whatever, this might be all you need. This might be all that God wants to say to your heart. But if you're in a more intensive situation, God may have more to say to you to how to deal with it. God, this is not a, a sum total of what David did when he dealt with Saul. We've already looked at some of the other things. Saul, David was clear with him, but you know, but this is an important factor. Okay, I say all that because if we just took this and said, this is all you do, it could put some people who are in a victim situation and kind of deepen their victimization. It, it, could, it could promote, um, I, I'm not supposed to deal with it, or I'm just supposed to speak well. Okay, so if you're in that kind of a situation, please understand um, and if it's an intensive situation, get counsel, please. Um, you can even go to counseling at gracecorning.org and sign up for a counseling session um, with there because there are real victims and there are real victim situations and there are real abusive situations. So this is not meant to say you just kind of this is not meant to paper over it. OK, uh, I'm going over this because I want to make sure that I don't have to say a whole lot more about this as I go on and qualify. But but it's not exhaustive, but it is important. Because one of the ways we go from victim to victor with God's help is by refusing to make victimhood our permanent address. We sometimes go there. We sometimes live there. We move in. We get a rental. And we are a victim for a period of time. But that's not our permanent address. That's not our permanent label. Your big label isn't victim. You might be victimized. You might be a victim. That's an important thing and it needs to be dealt with, but that's not your big label. That's not your identity. And that's, I think, the point where we learn something wonderful from David. We don't make victim our identity. In fact, the Bible says very clearly that as we believe in Jesus Christ, he has made us more than conquerors, not more than victims. Um, We have to refuse to get stuck in anger and and bitterness and vengeful thoughts and, and refuse to want to hurt someone back for hurting us. We need to move past seeing win, winning in terms of the other person losing, okay, regardless of the situation. So I want to just share two simple things that David does here. They're connected, but they are specifically different. And the first thing that David does in this lament is he honors the memory of the man who hounded him. He honors the memory of the man who hounded him. David writes a lament for Saul and Jonathan. Now, he loves Jonathan. Jonathan was his dearest friend. But he writes a lament for both of them, and he wants all of Israel to be taught this lament. 
He didn't try to move Israel past. He wants them singing. He wants them crying. He wants them weeping. He wants them feeling their loss to remember Saul, to honor the man who hounded him. David also wants to guard Saul's name. That's why he says, publish this not in Gath or Ashkelon. Don't let this be headline news in the Philistine cities. I don't want those, our enemies, to be rejoicing over this. I don't want this to be passed on and, and everybody rejoicing. I don't want this news to fall into the wrong hands. And have people, Philistines, gloating over Saul's demise. Don't let that happen. Now this desire that David has to honor Saul, this tells us a lot more about David than it does tell us anything about Saul. The fact is, Saul did not honor David. He was not only ready to publish the news in Philistine, he was more than happy to have the Philistines be the ones who killed David. He slandered his reputation. He did not honor David. David helped him, was kind to him, spared his life twice. Saul did not honor him for any of that. Just the opposite. David wasn't returning honor to Saul that Saul had given to him. David was honoring Saul from a different place than I got this, so I'm going to give it back. There are people, there are people who enjoy hurting other people. They just enjoy hurting other people. And sometimes that hurt comes from hurt. You know that saying, I think it's true, hurt people hurt people. But there are people who enjoy hurting other people. They, they like to damage reputations. They like to speak badly about people. They get satisfaction from gossiping about others. And so if you're the victim of gossip, I want you to remember that that says more about them than it does about you. It says more about their character than it says about your character. It, it very likely comes from a place of insecurity in them. And um, when we feel bigger by making someone else look smaller, folks, that's, that's the pits. That's, that is insecurity. And that's, that's just pitiful. It really is. And I think we all, if we're honest, have times where we're tempted to do that. But we have to resist that temptation to try to look bigger or feel bigger or feel better about ourselves by talking about someone else's weakness, flaws, problems, gossiping about them. Give honor. Now, how do we give honor? In proportion to what it's owed. Romans chapter 13, verse 7 says, pay to all what is owed to them. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So you don't want to lie. You don't want to lie, but you want to give sincere honor. David didn't lie. He didn't exaggerate. But Saul was worthy of some honor. Find something in that person 
that you can honor and emphasize that. And there are people who are not worthy of any honor. They, they are creeps through and through. And we don't honor people who are evil, who are truly evil. People who are truly not worthy of honor. It says pay them what they're owed. There are evil people. But it's not that boss probably who drives you crazy. Okay. That may be a headache. It may be a problem. It may be, uh, you know, it, it's not that neighbor who plays loud music. You know, that, that's not like the line over which of evil that, you know, there's no redemption. Most people in our lives, if we're honest, no matter how hard the situation, there's something, something we could honor about them. And I'm not even saying you have to say that out loud. You don't even have to. I'm not saying you have to write a song and, and this and that. But just in your own heart, try to remind yourself of, of what the good qualities are. And, what, and how can you, how can you um, keep that in mind and not turn them into the worst person? I think, again, this is not so much about them. It's about us. It's, it's a step towards going from victim to victor. And, and again, and so I just want to give this. This is not to condemn someone in a situation to silence. All right. You're in a difficult relational situation. This is not to say you need to be silent about what's going on. Injustice loves silence. It thrives in darkness. Um, uh, people who abuse, they love to control information and make sure that nothing gets out. So, um, that's not what I'm talking about. David, David was very clear when Saul was alive. And there were times where he publicly confronted Saul and said, this is wrong and you are wrong. And God is going to deal with you. So he dealt with the situation. So um, seek counsel, find a trusted friend. It's not gossip to share your heart in a trusted friend context. It's not gossip to share your situation with a counselor or a, a mature brother or sister to get their help. Your goal, your motivation isn't to expose someone to shame. It's to get help and reconcile that situation. David did that more than one occasion, but his, his motive was always to resolve this situation and resolve there and make a healthy change Never to hurt Saul. When the threat was removed, David had no desire to drag Saul's reputation through the mud. He honored his memory instead. The second thing that David does is he puts Saul in the best light possible. He puts Saul in the best light possible. David knew Saul's flaws and weaknesses better than anybody. But he doesn't raise them up in this song. He doesn't raise the concerns. He puts Saul in the best light possible in this song. Saul was mighty and brave. He was beloved and lovely. How mighty are the fallen. Weep, daughters of Israel. He puts him in the best light possible in this lament. And I, I once heard it said that people are, we should treat people like paintings. We should always try to put them in the best light possible. 
And, and that's not what's trending in society today. That is not the direction of our society or culture today. With social media, um, people are condemned and canceled and, and people troll and they, 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 you know, if you do something a little bit dumb, there are people who are going to just absolutely um, just eviscerate you over that. No grace, no patience, no understanding, no identification. Like, yeah, I, I've been there too. It's just, you're the worst person. And that, that's not where most people live. But it is where a lot of social media lives. And I think part of it is, it used to be, if I wanted to confront you, you know, I would have to go to your house and look you in the eyes and say, you did this and you did that and you're, you know, or something like that. Now you can do it anonymously if you want to. You can do it from a distance, a safe distance. And so it's as easy as just stroking. You're this, you're that. And we, you know, there's even this weird kind of like I'm being righteous and I'm telling the truth. Um, and it's, it's just a shame how people are trying to put people in the worst light possible. And, and the fact is, if someone's got that bent of heart, they're never going to understand how much they can hurt somebody until it happens to them. Until it happens to them. And they understand what it's like to get no grace and to have a mistake define your life and have somebody say, you're done. You, no chance, no second chance, no nothing. You're done. Until they experience that, it's going to be very easy to, to condemn someone else to that. A couple of months ago, you probably heard about the woman who freaked out on an airplane. You might have seen the video. I, I watched it. Um, if you haven't seen the video, uh, this, this woman gets up from her seat and she runs to the floor of the cabin and she's shouting that, um, that the person in the seat next to her wasn't real and that everybody on that plane was going to die. And she wasn't going to die. And she's using foul language. And she's, she's just, you know, like panic stricken. And she said, he's not real. That person back there is not a real person. And you can die if you want to, but I'm not going to die. I need to get off this plane. When they took her into the airport and the, the, uh, the, uh, the officials interviewed her, she continued to say, you watch that plane. It's not going to make it. They're going to die. It's going to blow up or something's going to happen. Um, now, I don't know about you, but I am really curious about who was sitting next to her. You know? Like, what, what was that person about? Like, what, what was going on there? I'd love to know, but nobody has ever said that. Um, but the point I want to make here is that all of her freakout was captured on video and shared with the world. It went viral. And um, I respect her for this. A couple weeks later, she apologized to everybody, specifically on that airplane, and specifically to those who were parents of young children who, you know, she's, I don't even know how they could have handled that with all the expletives and the threats that you're going to die and this and that. And she apologized to them. Um, and she admitted she deserved the nickname Crazy Plane Lady. Um, and she says this, she says, we all have our bad moments. Mine was caught on camera for all the world to see multiple times. And her hope was, after apologizing, to move on. Um, I hope that, too, for her. I really do. I hope that, too. 
And, uh, you know, the fact is, none of us want to be remembered for our worst moments. Do you want to be remembered all for eternity for your worst moments? I know I don't. And none of us are as bad as our worst moments, and none of us are as good as our best moments. Um, So what I want to encourage us to recognize, there's a grace to putting people in the best light possible. There's a grace that's involved in that. And there's a reality. It, it, it anchors us to a better sense of reality, but a grace-motivated reality. Let me circle back to my story with Bill. Um, because I left him in a bad light. Years later, Bill wrote to me out of the blue. And he apologized for that confrontation. And he said, I want to reconcile. Would you forgive me? And of course, I was glad to forgive him and renew. You know, we were never close, but to renew a warm relationship. But Bill, in the light of grace, and we see a few possibilities. One is that he was under a lot of stress. His marriage and his, his job didn't fall apart a few days later out of the blue. It was building. And sometimes when we're under a lot of stress in one area, we take it out in a different area. And so here was an area where I think he just, he just expressed and vented frustration. And we were going through a difficult time, but I think he, he vented frustration and felt emotions that in some degree were also like inflamed by all that was on his shoulders in his home and in his job. There's another thing that has to be said is um, I made so many mistakes during that period of time. I really did. I made mistakes. I had bad judgment. I, I did dumb things. I remember him telling me uh, this was a different encounter. So I had a couple of encounters. I remember him telling me, Alan, that sermon you preached last Sunday was an abomination. Now, I don't know if it was an abomination, but it wasn't a good sermon. It wasn't a good sermon. And I, I, it, was, it was, for me, it was like I'm trying to deal with this thing in a way. And it, it was birthed out of a, a frustration that turned into a bit of a legalistic kind of pressure out of my heart. In fact, many, many years later, I, I preached a sermon by the same title, and I used that as an example and totally flipped the script on the point of that message. It was, I don't think it was an abomination. I mean, come on, I don't think it was that bad. But it, it was not a good message, and I was making mistakes. And so I need to understand I contributed to that encounter Okay, so that's so often true. That's so often true. But, but how sweet, how sweet for brothers in the Lord to be able to re-engage and reconcile. That's the way it's supposed to work, brothers and sisters. If at all possible. It didn't happen for David and Saul. But if at all possible, that's our goal. In this song, David remembers Saul for his best moments. He forgets his worst moments. And God would do that for David years later.
when God said over David, he is a man after my heart. God, are you talking about the one who committed adultery? Are you talking about the man who then murdered Bathsheba's husband in order to cover up his adultery? Is that the man that you're talking about? Is a man after your heart? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Because God in His grace was putting David for really all eternity in His best light possible. And Jesus said, in the Gospel of John, he didn't come to condemn the world. That is, he didn't come to cast us in the worst light possible, which is a very true light, by the way. But to save the world. Jesus didn't come to walk around and say, you're this and you're that and you're the next thing. And I despise you. And Alan, that message was an abomination. And, you know, Jesus didn't come to do that. He could have done that. He's perfectly holy and pure, but he came to cast us in the best light possible through, not through just casting, but through his blood, covering our sin, paying for our sin so that we could then take on his righteousness by faith so that when God sees us, he sees us in the best light possible. The righteousness of Christ that's what grace does for us. That's what the gospel does for us. That's what Jesus came to do for us. God is honest about our worst moments, but he casts us in the best light possible. And he will do that for all eternity. You know, I love Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be studying Ephesians in our community group. And it says that in his kindness, he has raised us up in Christ and he has put us as displays, as trophies of his grace. You know what a trophy is? It's like, look at that. Look at that. And people will look at you. Your life's going to be on display. Now, that could, that could scare us. You know, if we put your life on display right now, you might be like, that's a scary thought. You know, and we're going to shine light on your life. But in heaven, God's going to shine this light on you. You're going to be a display. You're going to be a trophy of God. And people look at you. They're going to see God's grace displayed. Look at that person. They are glorious. They are righteous. They are powerful. They are beautiful. They are beloved of God. And all of that is because of the grace of God to them, not because they did it themselves. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what Tracy's enjoying right now. Trophies of his grace, best light possible. So as much as is possible, let's try to give that same grace to one another. Let me close by just saying doing these things may not change that person. It didn't with David or Saul, but it frees us from being stuck in victimhood. It frees our mentality from being stuck in the, how could they do that to me? To, I'm moving on. I'm going to experience grace. The grace I freely received, I'm going to give it to that person, whether they accept it or not. For the time being, let's close the loop on the story. Saul, who started out so well, sadly, he disobeyed God. He compounded his sin with more sin until his life ended as a sad wreckage. What I said last week is true. But brave men honored Saul 
and his memory enough to risk their lives to get his body, which the Philistines had. They cut off his head. They put his body on display. These brave men honored Saul's memory enough to go at risk of their own lives, get his body, bring it back, and deal with it in a respectful way. And David honored him enough to have all Israel mourn and weep and honor the man who had been their very first king. Through his faith in God and through his grace towards Saul, even when David was a victim, he was a victor. And God wants to empower us in the same way. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And I want to remind us, because see, when we are in those situations, often the biggest thing in our lives can feel like that person or that situation. That thing is the biggest thing to us. And we want to remember and remind ourselves, Christ is the big thing in our lives. Christ is shepherding our lives. Your life belongs to Jesus. Your life is under his protection. And nobody can destroy your life when you belong to Christ. They can make it hard on you. They can have you living in caves for a period of time. But you are a victor in Christ when Jesus is your Savior.